Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside. Everybody, welcome to Step Outside with Paul Bird Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Whatever you're doing, maybe you're a bit of a gym junkie just out there driving on the lowly Route 66, <laughs> or maybe just heading down to the shops to get some groceries. Hey, uh, we've got Leroy Horton online now. Leroy is, of course, National Sponsorship PR and Events Coordinator for Shimano Australia. You may have seen today uh, Leroy on our episode when we're jigging for dog tooth tuna. Sort of led into a bit of a discussion as to what sort of jigging would you do for different styles of fishing. But I thought, you know what, Leroy's got the best job in the world when it comes to having all these amazing products at his beck and call. And of course, using the products so you guys at home can understand that this stuff is 10 out of 10. It's invincible. But of course, you've got to have it in the right times and frame of fishing, whether you're fishing for snapper or flathead or dogtooth tuna or maybe kingies or amberjack what sort of gear you're going to run well today we're just going to run through that minefield of jigging welcome to the show leroy how are you buddy uh excellent mate couldn't be better mate great to have you on board thank you for your time today what an epic trip that was 650 kilometers out to sea on big cat reality catching fish mate i don't think i've ever done anything like it and i really hope i get to do it again well, mate, we're uh, we're booked in for next year, so let's just say there's plenty of fishing uh, challenges up our sleeve, and of course, uh, fingers crossed, the weather plays in our in our part, and we'll be able to get out there and get amongst it again. Oh, mate, that'd be unreal. Let's go. Hey, dude, I've got to ask you, jigging. What does it do? What does it mean to the fish when uh, people who are newbies are going into their local tackle store, whether you know whatever tackle store it is, or anaconda, and they're going in and going, right? I just want to, I, I want to set myself up for jigging but I don't know much about it. And they ask the guy behind the counter and they say, hey, what does it do? Can you give us the answer? Well, if I was to describe, I'd, I'd probably say jigging is the action of moving your lure fast or slow in an up or down retrieve or technique to attract predatory fish, basically to make it look like a wounded bait fish and gain a reaction bite. Ah, well, that's pretty much on the money, isn't it? Because it's... Um you're dropping a jig generally around like bait schools and stuff like that where there's a lot of, you know, demersal fish maybe moving around and they're seeing this thing fluttering out and they get excited. Is that the the, the key element to what we're trying to, to do here? Yeah. If you ever looked at a jig uh, comparative to other lures, there's not a lot of detail on them. So either way, you're trying to make it look basically like a fish more in a, in a wounded position or an easy target and get that reaction bite, whether it be fast or slow. Mate, um, what styles of jigging are there, Leroy? I mean, you know, you've got a whole variety of fish species out there. Is there, you know, uh, jigging for snapper is different to jigging for kingfish or dogtooth tuna to dolphin fish? Yeah, it, it, like per, in my personal opinion, there's two styles. There's fast and slow. And then there's sort of how fast or how slow. And you can go 
sort of the really fast winding. You can do slow pitch or, or flutter jigging. Uh, whether you're tar- targeting demersal species right on the bottom or pelagic spe- uh, species in the middle column, um, you've definitely got a range of different styles and techniques you can use to get that bite from them. And I guess that also comes into uh, you know the gear that you're running. Like I, I know I, I love using the overhead rods and reels because you know it, it sort of it feels comfortable under my arm. But I also know a lot of people love to lose lose the spin gear, such as your larger Saragossas. Man, those Saragossa reels really are. They're to me they're like a draft horse. Yeah, the Stella is like a racehorse, but the draft horse is just going to plod along all day long till the end of its day, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, that's a Saragossa in my view. It is just a workhorse of a reel, and it does not yeah. let you down, man. This, these things are just incredible. Yeah, good, strong, reliable reel. Um, they're quite robust, and they've got really good drag settings for the different sizes. When uh, you're choosing between overhead and spin, everyone obviously, like yourself, you prefer the overhead. I, I generally tend to find the spin gear very effective to get control, lock straight into that drag setting. However, overhead reels are also very capable. But the most important thing is getting that right size reel for balance and to hold enough braid for the depth that you're fishing. Of course. And that's the thing is like it depends on – the size of the reel to suit, like we were using the Osha Jiggers uh, up there at Rec Reef, uh, and, and in a smaller size, and of course with the like the PT uh, two P three P four uh, rods and very light outfits, and of course with that specific braid that you guys have, you can drop down a lighter weight jig but still pull up some cranking fish on it. But it's a super light outfit. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be throwing them at doggies or kingies, though, would you? <laughs> I think, mate, you'd be you'd be bent to the bow rail, right through to the butt. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> hey, mate, um, pencil jigs—that's what we used on the dog tooth tuna. Um, what sort of jig would you recommend to use on bottom demersals? You know, fish that are schooling around pinnacles in you know that sort of two hundred foot plus mark. Well, well, pencil style lures are great for getting to the depth range quickly when they're tail weighted, but center weighted can mean that they flutter a bit more and a bit slower. Uh, the, the tail weighted, you can jig them fast. You can get reaction bites for deep holding fish. Uh, fish it could be key, like species like kingfish, yellowfin tuna, sambos, doggies, a whole range. But yeah, demersals, you, if you sink those lures all the way to the bottom and work that lower column, then you're going to pick up that those sort of species rather than your pelagics. Because those OSHA pebble sticks that you guys have got, like they're they're an awesome jig, a lot more narrower and slimline compared to the OSHA sardine waver. They're a little bit more, I guess, deeper in the body, uh, and obviously that says it all. The stick over the waver, and then you've got the wonderful, the Colt sniper. So they're three different jigs that you guys have, but they've all got their own unique action. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Um, I find the fluttering or, or the waver jig or the wonderfuls are, are a much better uh, option for demersal species. Uh, it's a slower moving jig. You have to use a lot less effort and energy yeah. and you can maintain that sort of target range quite easily off the bottom. Yeah. And I did notice that because I, I'm used to like the pebble stick and knife jig sort of style where I drop down and, and I crank it back and, and jig and I nearly have a coronary as I work this thing back. <laughs> you've, and, you've got all the energy. 
<laughs> and you're sitting beside us, like you know, Happy Gilmore, just you know, just chilling out with the with the Colt Sniper Wonderfall, and just and I said, what? Why do you think that that jig works so well? And I remember your remark and your comment come back to me, and you said because it works and falls wonderfully. And I thought, right, okay, I'm kind of getting that. And I'm watching your jig is so – it's like a fly fisherman watching the fly. It's just that artistry of beautiful movement and just the slight lift up of the rod, little flick, drop down. You didn't even work a sweat, yet the fish you were catching were intense on such a small jig. Obviously, the larger jigs, because you're going for such a, 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 a – maybe like a faster action fish that you uh, you need to try and pull it away to really get them – you know, irritated and hungry and just wanting to get out there and get, annoy the fish. Is that what those pebble sticks more more to do? Well, I find those designs are, are more for your pelagic species. Uh, pelagic species tend to react a lot faster and move a lot quicker and are generally moving through areas a lot faster. So you'll get those reaction bites from those really fast-moving lures. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, you can pick them up, but you won't pick up as many pelagic species on the smaller fluttering jigs. Mate, tackle to use in that situation when we're talking about, you know, the bottom demersals, what sort of tackle should you be using? What sort of gear, as in rod and reel? My, my preference is sort of a 10 to 14K, yep. um, but you can go up to a 20K or 20,000 size reel. Um, but you definitely want to make sure, again, the line capacity and the big drags are there to stop these fish. Yep. Some of the reels we offer, like the Stratic Saltwater, the Saragossa, Twin Power, the Stella for spin, yep. uh, or even the Osha Jiggers, the Trinidads, your Toriums and your Tranksers for your overhead tackle. So when you mention about line capacity, that to me instantly goes to braid. Uh, is that a, do people put monofilament when jigging? I mean, I wouldn't. But uh, do, monofilament, do yeah. it's, it's generally a thing of the past for jigging. Yeah. Um, braid these days is so thin, light, and strong, and it allows you to get a lot more line on for the same pound or strength of monofilament line. Generally speaking, uh, you want to sort of be in that P6 to 10 range. Uh, it does prefer, it's all about preference again, but I sort of like that P8, sort of 80 to 100 pound, and you should be able to get a fair decent amount of that on those sort of size reels. And Kariki braids are a really good braid to use as well. Of course, then your Osher 8, which the Osher 8 is a really thin braid, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, we've got the new Grappler 8 as well, which ah. is another step again. But uh, but we basically, we designed a bunch of different lines for sort of different techniques. We have casting lines, your jigging lines, and then your more abrasive sort of power pro lines. But for this style of fishing, yeah, the Osha 8, the Kairiki, and the Grapple 8 are perfect. What about rod lengths there, mate? Because you're trying to whip that lure and give it some sort of action, it's, we've got to remember that the metal lure, the jig is basically that. It is just a jig with a, with a different shape to it, but you've really got to push it from your end to give it the action. So what size rod should you be using? Five foot, four foot, seven foot? When jigging, I recommend six foot and under as you're normally generally vertically fishing. So it's straight up and down. You don't want that really long rod tip because it's going to bend back around on an angle down towards when the fish hits it and strikes it. So you definitely want something with a strong backbone for leverage to pull those fish up off the bottom away from structure and sharks as quick as possible. And that's, and that's a 
sharks are a pain in the butt because you know you, you you've got your fish, you've gone out there, you've made the effort, and within three seconds you can get sharked, and it just absolutely screws your day up. So I guess in that sort of a, a scenario, with your leader, do you want to go supple or tough? Do you want a a, a really hard leader to to tie up or do you want more of one that's a little bit more flexible i have that that mexican echo why can't we have both (laughs) (laughs) you want something supple enough to get really good traction and grip on your knots but tough enough that you're going to have really good abrasion resistance because generally there's going to be toothy critters there's going to be some sort of structure or wreck that it could rub off on even the reef so something like the osha fluorocarbon is probably the way to go would you use the Tiagra uh, leader on that or that's more for your trolling? Because that is a supple line. It's a beautiful line. I love using that leader. It's a very supple line. But it, again, it, it does have great re- abrasion resistance, but not as much as a fluorocarbon. Yeah, okay. Okay. So the Osha leader is is the good one. And that comes up to a, a heavier poundage as well? Uh, yeah, I think now, including the premium, it goes up to 200 pounds. Yeah, wow. See, now we're talking heavy gear. We're running 200 pound, actually, when we're out at Wreck Reef, 650 kilometres offshore. Even running the smaller jigs, everything was 150 to 200 pound. It was just because the fish had never even seen a boat out there. It was just wild country, which is incredible. And bigger. <laughs> oh, man, it was tough. It was. Imagine how rough it would get. Just to paint everybody a bit of a picture, we're just going to digress here for a sec, is that we travel on this, on this mothership, it's called Big Cat Reality. It's about an 80-foot boat, okay? It's so old that Lee Marvin fished on the back deck of this thing. It's about to celebrate its 50th year. But we went across the ocean, across the Coral Sea, where it dropped down to over 10,000 feet deep. It was over three kilometres in this trench. And then this trench came up on one sheer wall to where the reef was broken up the top on the ocean. Okay, and so we ducked in behind it, obviously on the lee side, and that's where we stayed out there for a week or something. And you could imagine the ocean in cyclonic conditions when you're that far between Australia and New Caledonia, is that you, you've got these oceans menacingly, madly, ugly, horrific, scary, and these waves are just bouncing off this wall. And remember the bombies there, Leroy, where they were like, they were like marbles just tossed across the top of the reef, but these things are the size of trucks. They were everywhere. Like it really was just a war zone on top. There was nothing pretty about it up the top end besides some of those little sandy isles, which would clearly get decimated during a bad storm. Yeah, Jimmy was saying every time he goes back, some of those one-ton, two-ton, three-ton rocks have moved every time, which just shows the sheer force and power of the ocean coming out from the depth into such shallow ranges. Oh. Uh, you do feel sorry for all those critters on the island, I reckon. They'd have oh. a bit of a rough. <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think if I'm right, I think obviously oh, it was Matthew Flinders, if I'm correct, it was uh, that got wrecked there or one, one of the one of the, uh, one of the naval people from many, <laughs> many moons ago. <laughs> I haven't done my homework on that. so We always get that wrong, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. Didn't he discover something else? Anyway, it wasn't Captain <laughs> Cook. He ended up in Hawaii at the same time and didn't make it out. Hey, uh, mate, length of leader. All right, we're still on the leader. What sort of length should you be running? People say use a rod length when you're brim fishing. Should you use a little bit more on a, you know, say a four-foot or a five-foot jig stick? Well, the awesome part about jigging is there's no casting required. 
So people often do a lot shorter leaders because they don't want that resistance with the strength rather than the braid. Uh, so I generally say at least a five or six foot length, depending on the size of your rod, that should keep you far enough away from those the teeth and from the from the structure on the bottom to to make sure you get that fish back. Yeah, okay, because that's super important. If you hook the fish and you've got your drag down up, because your drag settings is the next thing, you've got to stop the fish from ripping you down. What drag is too tight? What is not enough? Obviously, not enough as if the fish just keeps powering away, but. Should you tighten it up to beyond recognition? I mean, what's the go? No, well, jigging is obviously very different different to trolling in your strike setting. I like to set it over 50% minimum, uh, but you can set it up to 80%. You do not want to really go over 80% because then you're really going to test your knot, your leader, your line, and you could snap off pretty much immediately with that, uh, with that first initial hit. But uh, again, after that initial hit, you do have the ability to adjust your drag setting slightly. But yeah, anywhere between 50 and 80, you should be pretty safe. Is it better? Because like you look at, say, your Talikas, and Talikas are a lever drag, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you've got your Talika, and then you've got your Osha Jigger, which uh, they've got a, a, they've got a, you've got two different drag settings on that, which I really, really like. You can lock it, um, yeah, or you uh, can slow it down. You can do everything with that thing. It's the best jiggery on the planet. But um, is it better to go a star drag or is it better to go lever drag for jigging? What do you think? I think a star drag's better. Yep. Uh, again, it, it is personal preference, but I'd go with a star drag when jigging rather yeah. than those lever drags. It's more for your trolling and larger pelagic species. Good call. But also, I, I've got some mates who use the Talika 16s and 20s religiously for everything. It's a, it's a very universal reel. And you've, you just hit the nail on the head where you can troll for marlin, you can have braid on it and troll for marlin. You can catch mackerel. You can go tuna fishing with it. You can then live bait for a jewfish with it. And then you could drop down a jig for a snapper or a kingy on it. So it really is a, a multifunction reel uh, that, you know, you see a lot of boats out there that look like a porcupine. They've got so much gear hanging off the roof. Okay. <laughs> you can only use one or two. Some of us a little bit more, but you know what I mean? Like you, you have a reel that does a lot of things and um, you can really cut down a lot, but uh, you know it's going to be there for a, a hell of a long time. Mate, uh, what do you look for on the sounder? We're, we're driving along. We've got our gear sorted. We've got our rod, our reel, our line, our leader, the, the jig's tied on. Now we come to find the fish. What is it you look for on the sounder? Because you taught me something. Always, always learn, always watching. And, and when you're saying... <laughs> There's a bommy, there's some bait, and look at that fish. He's feeding. He's coming up, he's coming up, and then we'd, we'd sound back around. Like I used to just pull up to a reef and find bait and just drop down and think, ah, stuff it, I'll just drop a jig here and I'll catch a fish. might take me 10, 15 minutes, but I'd find one. But you, yeah. you would look, you would take the time. You'd spend that 10, 15 minutes looking for the right shape on the sounder, and you'd drop down and you'd get him straight away, just like that. I was so impressed. What do you look for? Bait, as you've mentioned, is very important. But bait, when you see it on the sounder, can look a lot of different ways. I call bait that's spread out over the over the screen and lots of holes in between it. That's sort of your happy bait. And then the ones that we I really look for are those condensed bait balls or the ones that are pushed up off the bottom or in, in an irregular shape with an arch around it. Now, that is 
bait that's scared, that's bait that's moving, it's bait that's condensed and packed really tight together because it's trying to evade a predator. So that means there's also a fish in the area that's actively feeding. Now, actively feeding versus reactional fish are a lot more aggressive and you tend to get the bite a lot sooner. That's interesting you mentioned that because um, you were saying, you know, when we're out there fishing, just, you know, wait, watch, we'll find it, we'll find it. And, and I was the opposite way. Ah, just drop a jig. And you're like, no, no, we'll keep looking. And when, when you found that arch, you dropped down, you caught him. Is there the more arches, the, the more fish? Does the sound to show that up? Or is it, you know, because that one fish can move and that arch can then sort of be displaced throughout the water column at times, can't it? Correct. Well, arches can move with the boat. Arches can be outside the beam. Uh, if the visibility is really good, they can move in to hit your lure as well. But generally with jigging, you will be fishing in the beam of your sounder in that sort of vertical column. So ideally you want to see the fish that you're targeting, if possible. It does depend on how deep it is. But, yeah, generally the more arches, the better. Uh, and the, the steeper the arches, the better. Mate, so if you're fishing around a ball of, say, yellowtail yakkers, a, a fish that's found generally around most of the country here, or slimy mackerel, things like that, should you emulate that jig to suit that bait fish? Like if you're running a squidgy, okay, uh, you know, in your biotuff, crack pepper, and you're fishing around a flat for flathead looking with there's whiting in the area, so you, you're trying to emulate that bait fish to catch the, the bigger predatory fish. Should you be doing that with your jigs that you guys have on the market? Yeah, well, obviously the old saying goes, match the hatch. Mm. So the closer the size and the colour to the, the, the bait fish, the better. However, in deeper water, you generally lose a lot of colour uh, fairly quickly, uh, and they all sort of look the same. So I like to go for, in those deeper waters, more of a glow, uh, silver reflective or, or the white patterns. That's my personal preference. Everyone's a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, it, it's always go back to, to what they say, match the hatch as much as you can. And what about weight? Okay, say, for example, the uh, the Colt Sniper Wonderfuls. Uh, what sort of weight should you be running? Because they start at 40 gram, go up to about 100, 100 grams or something. Should you be running, say you're in 100 foot of water, what sort of weighted jig should you be running in 100 feet of water? Um, as we mentioned in a, in a previous podcast, you, in the sort of the shallower, lighter jigging setups, you can sort of double double the weight of the jig to double the depth. As you sort of get up to the 100 metres, that sort of stuff, you, you could be using anything upwards of 500 gram jigs um, based on the current and how quickly you need to get them down to the bottom. But, yeah, in that sort of lower stuff, if you're using a wonderful, definitely, you can do that sort of up to yeah, 60 feet, 120 grams will work perfectly. Unreal. So, yeah, that's it. As long as you can get to the bottom realistically and depending on current, because otherwise, you know, it can make it a little bit tough. Mate, um, terminal tackle, do you need a gimbal belt? Lifelong question that a lot of people ask me: Do you? Why do you? Why? Because we don't wear many gimbal belts, uh, but well, a, lot of, a lot of dudes ask: Do you need to wear one? Terminal tackle I find really important. Uh, if you've got a belt that you can also have a good set of pliers on, that's going to help you massively. But gimbal belts are great for support. They're going to help you fight the fish. They're going to help you fight more fish because you're in less pain, and you're going to do a lot less damage to yourself. I've, I've come away with huge, big black bruises like in your hips and stuff from a day's fishing. And if you've got four more days doing the exact same thing, you're going to be struggling. 
Oh, and I know that. The, the jig belt that uh, we used when we were out at Wreck Reef was really comfortable. It had the pliers on the side. You had a little pocket there for your braid scissors. And it was only a small cup on the front. But that was super. It was like a utility belt. That was pretty cool. I, I like that thing because it wasn't really cumbersome. Yeah, those things are awesome, I guess, because they're, they're lightweight. You can move them around. It does have the ability to keep on your extra terminal pliers, uh, scissors, all that sort of stuff for like an immediate action if something goes wrong and you need to <laughs> remove a hook. But, yeah, those old school sort of fight belt style ones are probably more for your, your marlin fishing and stuff like that these days. Yeah, there's a lot more um, lightweight stuff on the market, which is really cool. Mate, um, your jigs for jig hooks, uh, you can buy spare hooks for your jigs. Okay, they do go blunt. Uh, you know, maybe a little Dacron part in the top end there has become frayed. What size hooks uh, should you run on your jigs? Because I, I have noticed on a lot of the smaller jigs, the hooks are the size of a, a fly hook. They're really tiny, but you're pulling up fish that are super huge and the hooks aren't really straightening. So pretty good gear, I'd imagine. But what size hooks should you be, should you be running? Well, rule number one, always run good hooks. If you're going to spend money on all the terminal, all the tackle, all the rods and reels, and then you're going to you're going to buy the cheap hooks, you're going to it's going to end in disaster. So, rule number one, a very good quality hook. Um, you don't really want the hook to affect the action of the jig. So that's obviously why when you see a smaller jig, you've got a much smaller hook. If you've got a, a very small jig and a massive hook, that jig's not going to work the way it's supposed to. Um, so finding a suitable size for the jig is is basically the most important part. So 150 gram jigs, you're sort of looking at like a seven to eight o. 200 gram jigs, you're probably looking at an eight o to nine o. 230 gram jigs, an eight o to ten o. 250 gram jigs, nine o to an eleven o. And then sort of anything 300, 400 plus, ten o's and above. Yeah, I love how the Kiwis go. It's a ten bar o. That stroke there doesn't mean a bar. It's just just ten up. All right. If you're listening, if you're lifting listening over the ditch, guys. Not only can you not play cricket, but it, reality is, you, it's not ten baro. Just say ten o. It's easier. It's quicker. Get, get to the point. Uh, speaking of point, uh, do you need to wear gloves, mate? Is that an important thing? I know you can glove when you you know wear a glove when you're casting to save the braid on your fingers. Um, is that important when you're jigging, mate? Hey. You don't have to wear uh, gloves at all. Like, obviously, I know I wear them a lot. Um, I've got office hands, uh, where someone like yourself, you've got big, burly man hands, and I I know you grab those spiky fish without care in the world. <laughs> but uh, if, if you are jigging a lot and you do have supple hands, they're definitely going to help you from brazen resistance, even if you're thumbing an overhead reel to try and add more... Um, pressure to the drag and it's going to help you from the sun and stuff as well so wear and tear on those hands is going to be a lot better if you're wearing jigging gloves so you can run can you run the sun gloves like the upf 50 plus all those sort of stuff there for jigging as well the, the fingerless gloves yeah you're probably going to wear through those a little bit faster mm. um with the jigging gloves they're a much harder material they use leathers and stuff like that nice. uh obviously to make them last a lot longer whereas the sun gloves are basically as as they their name they're there for the sun and more protection from that rather than protecting your hands from wear and tear i like how you describe our hands your hands are office hands so you're like uh the uh the supple uh, sort of leader and my hands are like the tough 
tough leader, right? Is that is that we're sort of on the yeah, right track? We're on the right track here, aren't we? You're like the Tiagra. I'm the you know. beautiful one. You're the rough one. <laughs> That's it. I'm the hard one to tie knots with, mate. Um, <laughs> what about Shimano? Okay, the gear that you guys is is it all made for jigging? As in, like, can you run a jig on the majority? Even if you went down to a a Sedona. 4,000, little light combo. Can you put like a 40-gram Colt Sniper Wonderfall on that jig and have a crack at it? You could. That's No one can say you can't, yeah. but obviously there's, there's specialized gear um, that's built specifically for jigging to give you the best opportunity to get those lures working properly. Um, Shimano offers a range of different products uh, in the jigging scene. Uh, we ever offer like, Jig cases, jig belts, fight buckets, octo jigs, sardine wavers, pebble sticks, PR bobbins, wonderfuls, braids, rods, you name it. Yeah, yeah, at all. And this is the thing. I, I remember shooting for our step outside show. We're up off cans. We found this little bombie on the way back. It might have been a wreck. I can't remember. But um, I had a uh, – we were using uh, one of the uh, Sedona combos. It was actually the quick fire combo – I think it was an exclusive one through Anaconda, and I, and we dropped down a jig, and got absolutely bent over, mate. This thing went nuts, and I actually put on it was a four thousand size reel, and I put fifty pound Kariki braid on it. I thought, oh, let's just load this thing up, and we did, and we dropped it down. And look, at home, I suggest you don't do this. We were just trying to prove a point of how good the quality of the gear is. And we, we hooked onto these, they were tea leaf trevally, but they were big. They were like eight and 10 kilo trevally. And the rod being a two piece is we're fighting the fish. We, we actually pulled the rod apart and said, look, the beauty of this rod, it's a two piece. You can put it in the boot of your car. And then we put it back together and it eventually landed these fish. It was incredible fights. But that just goes to show the strength. And that was just a start run of the mill combo that you could put in the boot of your car just to go fishing if you you know pull up at a spot and you go, man, I want to catch a fish. So like you say, you don't say no to everything. You can try it, have a crack, and if you enjoy it, and then you can lift your level up to the next level of game, and that is start to move into your Stratics and, of course, those draft horse workhorses, the Saragosas, Twin Powers, and, of course, your Stellas. So, mate, there's a whole variety of gear on the market, and uh, there's always a happy time when you're out there fishing, Leroy. Mate, that's what we're here for, isn't it? Certainly is, buddy. Hey, mate, thank you for your time. Are you uh, got any uh, fishing up, up your sleeve over the Christmas break, new, early New Year coming up that you can well, um, think of? It, it's the silly season now, and obviously the festivities have begun. Um, but, yeah, we've got a nice little couple of week break uh, post-Christmas. So I think I might be heading up to Port Stephens with the family. Going to take the skeeter up there, probably do a bit of estuary and river fishing, I think. Nice. Nice, mate. Well, that sounds lovely. I'm taking my boy. We're spending we're spending five days, so we're doing four nights on our boat. Okay, not a big boat, so tinny. We're going to sleep on it, going up to Harvey Bay. And I've told him we're doing it rough. Meaning, nice. I'm taking just a gas cooker, and that's it. And we're gonna we've got to catch food to eat. Otherwise, you know, we'll be going back to Harvey Bay and eating at a restaurant. So that that's the deal. <laughs> is we're going to uh, stay out there and and catch and eat what we do and uh, and give it a crack. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, although I've been in Harvey Bay many times and found dead whales, and the size of the sharks there would dwarf my boat. So I think at night time I'll be anchoring in about three feet of water. 
<laughs> and having a. I wish, hey? I wish you both good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Hey, uh, Leroy Horton there from Shimano, who's the national sponsorship PR and events coordinator. Mate, thank you for your time this morning. Always a pleasure to have you on board our Step Outside podcast. And, you know, anyone else out there who just wants to get into jigging, mate, I'm sure you've cleared up a hell of a lot because, again, I learned a fair bit from today as well. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks for your time, Bertie. Appreciate it. All of the always. Good on you, mate. We'll talk to you soon. There you have it, everybody. That's another Step Outside podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's uh, lesson on jigging. And hopefully you can get into there and get amongst it as well. Uh, have yourself a wonderful Christmas. And if you've already gone to Christmas and you're listening to this at a later date, uh, Merry Christmas for next year or the year after or whatever it is. And, of course, happy birthday. Mate, you're Rod Bendoff and everybody. We'll see you on Step Outside every Saturday and Sunday with a new ep being dropped. And, of course, every week morning, uh, two episodes that have been shot over the past couple of years are pretty run again from Monday to Friday. So you're seeing us at the moment at a total of 14 times over a week. Hey, have yourself a great Great day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside.